0: Welcome to the Enable Me podcast series, where we bring together stroke survivors, health professionals and researchers providing you with practical advice to enable you on your journey to reclaim your life after stroke. The advice given in this podcast is general in nature and you should discuss your own personal needs and circumstances with your healthcare professionals. You can join the conversation at enableme.org.au. This series is presented by Australia's Stroke Foundation, working to prevent, treat and beat stroke.
1: There's
2: usually a lot of attention given to rehabilitation in the weeks and months immediately following a stroke, but recovery doesn't stop there. Many stroke survivors continue to work on their recovery and see improvement for many years. And today we want to talk about how long-term recovery works, what you can expect in terms of highs and lows, and how to make the most of it. And to help us, we're very lucky to have with us Professor Julie Bernhardt, who is the Director of the Centre of Research Excellence in Stroke Rehabilitation and Brain Recovery and also head of the Stroke Division at the Flora Institute of Neuroscience and Mental Health. Thanks so much for coming to me read out your long title there, Julie.
3: No, sorry about that, but I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
2: Fantastic. And on the phone, we have Nadia Moffat, who had two strokes when she was a teenager and is now a member of the Stroke Foundation's Consumer Council. Thanks for joining us, Nadia. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And later on, we'll also be speaking to physiotherapist Carol Pham from StrokeLine. But first, I'd like to start with you, Nadia, and with the question that we always ask our stroke survivors. Could you tell us your stroke story?
4: Sure. At the age of 12, I had a subarachnoid hemorrhage caused by an aneurysm that bled. So I woke up paralyzed down one side, and I really found it hard because English was not my first language and I had seven years of English under my belt and my parents were horrified in the hospital and I couldn't understand what had happened in English so I didn't know how I was going to translate it to them so I just put a smile on my face and just said oh don't worry everything's going to be okay but it wasn't everything was not okay and I had a 99% chance of having a second uh, hemorrhage but they discharged me to enjoy the rest of my life Four years later, I had a second hemorrhage that was larger and they said that if they didn't operate, I would die. But the surgery was so risky, I would only, there was only a 20% chance that I would survive it. I had the nine and a half hour brain surgery and then I was discharged back into the community with my parents and my parents always funded and organized my private rehab. I then went back to school. I went to university. I got a job. I worked for 32 years full time. I've had two children and I'm now a, a nonna. So I've had a very rich life, but the rehab never stopped. It's ongoing all the time. And if you stop, you just lose your balance and you lose your strength. So it's a lifelong commitment.
2: Right. And how has the re- recovery been then uh, since your strokes? Was that, has it been like a uh, continuous improvement or have there been like ups and downs?
4: There's been ups and downs. Um, and then I struggle like most other people with depression and so when you get depressed you go back a little bit and then you pick yourself up again and you try a bit harder and never ever give up never think that you can't do better because you always can
2: Okay that is uh that is like a very positive message there about yeah the uh, the very long term recovery um Julie, I want to ask you though, given that, um, as you heard from Nadi, that does continue for so long, why is there such focus in the the first few months after a stroke?
3: I think there's two reasons why there's a focus. One is traditional, which is that that's just the way our services are organised. And I think anyone who works with people with stroke will say that uh, it's an inadequate system in that people are often still changing. But the services aren't there for them. We often describe it as the black hole, which I'm sure has been heard many times before. Patients say that to us, survivors say that to us, and we say it ourselves as clinicians. So there's that element, but there is also another side to it and that is that uh, over, especially over the last 10 years as we're trying to understand more about brain recovery, the animal research is telling us that there is a a window uh, that seems to be very optimistic for getting the most that you can early. doesn't mean it's everything, but certainly for getting, for optimising maybe the rate and extent of recovery. And this seems to be certainly, and I'll in animals, this seems to be anywhere from five days after stroke and maybe even earlier to 30 days. And then after that, uh, there's really quite consistent signal that things drop off. So the potential for change drops off. So that's why I think there's also this other side of it, which is um, the importance of trying to do as much as you can in that early phase. Now. I'll say that, but of course, the other side is that we know that um some people really can't activate themselves in that time zone. It's not possible depending on what kind of stroke they've had. So I agree with Nadia, you know I think it is a lifelong process. That's the other thing that we need to make clear to people that uh, the ability of the brain to continue to change is uh, well-recognised now, and so you can always make some changes. We're making changes. We'll be different at the end of this um, session than we were before because our brain is just constantly changing. So that's the potential.
2: Okay. So people do use the the word neuroplasticity, which we've done a podcast specifically on that before, and it is kind of the word that I think gets thrown around a lot in this kind of context. But it's nothing... From what you're saying, it doesn't sound like it's anything special. It is like what the brain does normally and it constantly is changing anyway.
3: Yeah, correct. And I think that, uh, and again, this is something that we've known as neuroscientists for a long time, but that... Uh, books uh, like The Brain That Changes Itself really brought that information into the public realm and so that term started to be used. It's really a global term for a lot of different processes and what's important now is that we start to understand what those processes are and we try and find treatments that harness each of the potential processes that are at play as the brain changes. That's really uh, the exciting direction for us right now and that's both in that early window as well as later, you know, when we use terms like chronic stroke, that's sort of a whatever that term means. It just means that it's sometime after six months generally. But I think what you're, what you're hearing is that in that phase, when that six-month window has passed, there's still potential for change. We have to find the treatments that really get that those, those uh, physiological brain activation things happening, I'm using very plain language and not using neuroplasticity, um, we have to find things that target those specific pathways and that's where we'll find some improvements in the future.
0: In your stroke recovery, the answers you need are not always there when you need them, but you can always go online to the Enable Me website and ask the health professionals at StrokeLine. You might notice some changes and not be sure if you should get them checked out. You can ask on Enable Me. Perhaps you feel your progress has plateaued and you need some help setting new goals to keep going forward. You can ask on Enable Me. We're not here to replace your doctor, but we will give you the latest evidence based information to help you live well after stroke. And you can also hear from other people in Australia's stroke community who might have similar experiences. You can ask a question on the Enable Me website. That's enableme.org.au by clicking on the Ask a Health Professional link on the homepage or call Stroke Line on
2: 1-800-787-653. Now, we put a call out to our stroke survivor community for questions and things they wanted to know about yep. long-term recovery. And the questions were basically just mostly around my particular impairment, will I get recovery in that? So we had people bring up things like um, balance, a couple of people, um, weakness, numbness, spasticity, fatigue, uh, and vision was another one. Uh, Do all these things, are all these things able to get recovery or is there a limit on certain?
3: There are, um, I I believe that there's potential for recovery in all domains. Mm -hmm. What I can tell you from a research perspective is that we know a lot more about motor recovery and sensory recovery. So that's just because that's where the researchers have typically researched. Uh, things like your thinking ability, uh, your vision, things like fatigue, uh, which we recognise as being really problematic for people, just have not been as well researched and so we can't be as clear. We do know that there could be quite um, distinct time courses for recovery for different parts of a person uh, and different domains, as we would call it. So motor recovery might be really happening early and may taper off still with potential to improve. Speech and language may not really start to kick off and recover until later. And I think what I want people to understand is that um, part of the challenge that we have is both the complexity of stroke, because there's so many things affected, we have a a problem with not having enough um, capacity of researchers working in recovery, and that has held us back. And that's so that's why uh, the center of research excellence was started to try and get a bit of a core of people interested in this area. And I think we didn't have um, you've got to have those interested people. They've got to want to really work with the consumers and study those areas. And so we're really in very early days in a lot of our understanding in these areas.
2: Uh, look, it sounds like with the, yeah, the different uh, factors, as you said, there's poss- different time frames involved. Uh, Nadia, um, is that something that is your experience as well? Did you find that uh, different things recovered at a different speed? Yes.
4: And some things didn't
2: recover at all. Yes. Okay. So what's what kind of things were, I guess, were quicker to recover?
4: I started walking again pretty quickly. My mum hired a heated pool and put me in it. So within a few months, I started walking again. But uh, my arm was so slow and still not extremely useful and my vision hasn't really recovered. So uh, the fatigue is is a lifelong thing, I think. It's something you never quite grapple, so you just manage it the best way you can. So I guess for everybody, it would be different, but, you know... Like I always say to people, while you're alive, there's always hope and you just keep trying things and some things will work and some things won't, but it doesn't matter because you're still here and you're still battling on. Fantastic. And uh, you're just achieving things differently.
2: Now, I guess something else that relates to uh, speed of recovery is uh, this concept of the plateau that a lot of people talk about. Uh, Julie, can you tell us, do we know why that might happen? That it's sort of things stop for a while and then... Continue.
3: This is this is a really interesting area um, uh, because when you look at big populations of people and you group them all together, and then you measure their recovery over time, you do see a plateau, and the plateau happens around about three to six months. And um, medical wisdom up until about five ten years ago, and we're still battling against it actually, was that that's it. So that's the plateau. We've seen it in large groups of people you're not going to recover much beyond that. And so at a population level, it, it does seem that that there is this sort of rapid period where people improve and then things start to slow down. But as um, Nadia and others will say, that you can have bursts of change and that's actually very interesting um, and it, it speaks to the potential for some kind of mechanism we don't understand. So the answer is we don't understand why some people may then kick off into a new um, period of optimal whatever it is, the environment that's uh, that's in their brain and in their whole system and uh, probably surrounding them that somehow kicks them into a new zone. Um, but I think what Nadia described earlier is um, engaging in therapy later and still being able to see significant change and we know that uh, that we know that that happens. So we don't understand uh, what happens with the recovery process at the human level as much as we understand at the biological level with okay. um, earlier models like with rodents and that's a, that's got to change. that's truly really old school. Yes, Nadia. Do you think that it might have something to do
4: with? The, because I don't know about other stroke survivors, but I've I've definitely got my awareness has been affected. And sometimes it just takes you a lot of time and repetition to become aware of something. And do you think sometimes it, by the time that your body brain processes the awareness of something and then starts to deal with it, maybe that's one of the lags?
3: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And what you're describing as awareness, we might describe even at, at attention but it may be more than attention, but we do see changes. Um, There's some really interesting work uh, with Leanne Carey's group who are looking at sensory changes and seeing that you can really make significant change with um, doing a targeted training program. There's lots of other examples as well, but it could be that you're in a phase where you are able to really focus in on something and maybe you weren't able to do that before
4: yep yep
3: that's what I'm thinking. yeah, and i I do think that that's i I do think that people experience that. They've certainly described that to me as one of the one of the really interesting different things that happen as they move through their recovery process. Oh, good. it's not just me then. No, not at all.
2: It sound like what you're saying, Julie, there are a lot of things we don't know about long term recovery in this um what are the kind of things that uh, you're interested in researching at the center for research excellence
3: no, everything <laughs> um, i look i think stroke recovery is really the absolute next most important thing we should be looking at in um in any in this field of stroke medicine so we've had a lot of attention as i'm no doubt you've reported on this segment before about the miraculous um, improvements in acute treatments. And they apply, and they are amazing, and they're fantastic, but they apply to about 10% of people. So if you think of recovery as 90%, the the other 90% then, and how diverse it is, there's a lot to study. So we are taking a targeted approach in that we're focusing on a couple of key areas at this point in time. Fatigue is one of them, and there's uh, some trials that are running now with particular medications. We're also working a lot with the basic scientists to look at the biology of recovery, so trying to understand more about what actually happens in the brain. And we're doing a number of clinical trials around different types of problems that people have. We're also working with consumers about what they uh, think are important areas for research. And we've been doing quite a bit of work with young stroke survivors because they're a bit of a neglected group, Nadia, as no doubt you experienced when you were young. Uh, Yeah. So, uh, and they really do have quite um, distinct needs. And one of the big gaps that they talk about is a lack of psychological, attention to their psychological needs, and that's around adjustment, depression. So. Look, I think we are try- we are a small group. We are trying to build capacity in the field and we're trying to get people excited about the potential for stroke recovery because we need a lot more people working in this area.
2: Okay. Now, Nadia, I understand you've been involved in a few research projects yourself. Uh, what kind of I things? Have. Yeah, what kind of things have you been involved with?
4: Um, well, I was involved in a Locomat research project. The Locomat is a machine that trains you to teaches you to walk. So it's computer arms that are attached to your body and the computer moves your body and walks for you. So you learn, you feel the feeling of walking properly and it's really amazing. You can actually get people that are in wheelchairs and get them walking with assistance. I was also involved in the um, Botox clinical research trial in South Australia. So um, those are two that pop into my mind off the top of my head.
2: Is this something that you would recommend to other stroke survivors is looking and see what uh, what research projects I can get involved in?
4: Absolutely. I always think you never know until you try something. And what have you got to lose?
2: Now, we're going to wrap up shortly. Do you have any other advice uh, for stroke survivors, Nadia? Probably best if you could avoid having a
4: stroke in the first place. So, um, you know, things like watch your blood pressure, watch what you eat and all those sorts of things. And then look at the symptoms, uh, face, arms, speech and tongue and get people help as quickly as possible because you're better off avoiding having one. Believe me.
2: It's hard work. That's a that's a great. But mess. I
4: appreciate I appreciate that there's people like Julie that are so committed to helping the cause. Thanks.
2: I, I think we all appreciate yeah Julie's work. Julie, do you have any other advice that you would give stroke survivors as well?
3: I, I'm not going to offer advice. I'm going to offer hope. Um, I think we're at a point where we really are heading in a direction that we've never headed in before. We now have international collaboration around stroke recovery. We're trying to come up with the type of research that we need to really help understand recovery. And understanding recovery will be what we need to do to kick into a new era of treatments. And so I think, watch this space, it's a, it's a really exciting space to work in. And I think we just need to keep very engaged with consumers as well throughout this process and through Stroke Foundation.
2: Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Julie. Uh, and thank you to Nadia. And thank you both for coming in and sharing your experience and knowledge with us. Uh, that was Stroke Survivor Nadia Moffat and Professor Julie Bernhardt.
1: If you're a family member or friend of someone that has had a stroke, you know that it's just the start of a long journey to reclaim their life. As one of Australia's biggest killers and the leading cause of adult disability, we still have a long way to go until we can say we have beaten it. At the Stroke Foundation, we draw our inspiration from the determination and persistence of stroke survivors. And that's why we work every day to prevent, treat and beat stroke. There are many ways you can join us to fight stroke, including volunteering your time, telling your story for us to share with the media, speaking up and approaching your local Member of Parliament with our advocacy team, Getting your workplace or community group behind an event like National Stroke Week or Strive for Stroke Running a fundraiser, donating or leaving a lasting gift in your will Or just by sharing the fast message with the people around you So all Australians will know how to recognise a stroke and act fast Join the Fight Stroke team Find out more at strokefoundation.org.au
2: Finally today we have Carol Pham Carol is a physiotherapist who you can hear on the Stroke Foundation Stroke Line Thanks for coming in Carol Thanks for having me now, you would speak to a lot of stroke survivors on StrokeLine and on the Enable Me website. Uh, how many people would you say are in this long-term phase of their recovery?
5: We speak to a lot of people sort of longer-term post their stroke. Um, People call us or contact us through Enable Me and Straight Line. Um, they might be months down the track or even many years down the track. Um, and they often give us a call um, because they, they might be thinking about um, stepping back into new activities. Um, they might be thinking about getting back into working life, volunteer roles, um, thinking about returning back to driving. And what they're looking for is a little bit of guidance from us as to how, how best to tackle that. Um, they may also reach out to us if they've reached a hurdle in their recovery, um, and they're wanting a bit of advice on how they can, um, get back on track, um, and overcome those hurdles and what help is available to them.
2: Okay. And do you keep, do you see people then continue to go on to have this, uh, ongoing recovery as we've discussed?
5: Yes, absolutely. So, just as um, Nadia has described, um, depending on um, what stage you're at with your recovery, um, uh, there are certainly um, changes that you can see along the along the journey. So, um, people who have suffered a severe stroke may um, take longer or need need more time um, with their recovery. Um, so, while every stroke survivor have um, different challenges ahead of them. Um, recovery in the long term can be, I guess, assisted by consistent and um, constant work. So the words that um, Nadia described around rehab, never stopping, um, being, being a lifelong commitment and sometimes coming across hurdles and needing to pick herself up and, and um, keep on going. Um, those are common stories that we often hear and, and strike survivors share our stories with us and they achieve fantastic goals many years down the track, um, such as engaging in study, getting back to work and um, telling us stories about how they've ran their first marathon years after their stroke. So um, certainly long-term recovery is possible. A lot of it is about being persistent, having a lot of self-belief and having a can-do attitude and I guess the willingness to work hard and sort of overcome some of the challenges along the way.
2: Great. Okay. Well, given that, what would be your top tips that you would give to stroke survivors who are trying to continue their recovery long-term?
5: One of the biggest tips that I can give out to stroke survivors is to set yourself some goals and make a plan to achieve them. Um, On Enable Me, our website, uh, we have a framework to help stroke survivors create their goals, um, set a timeframe for their goals, and think about what steps they might need to take to achieve them. And also consider the obstacles um, that they may have to overcome along the way. Um, It's always been helpful um, for those who can surround yourself with a supportive network. So involve your family and friends in the community if you can. Um, You might like to connect with other like-minded people, Um, so um, getting in contact with a local stroke support group and sharing stories and sharing tips and experiences with each other to help achieve your goals is often quite helpful. Also consider health professionals. Your GP is an excellent contact point that you can talk to about your goals and they can often link you into rehabilitation options in the community. So um, for your goals, you might need physiotherapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, psychology support. There's a whole array of resources that you can tap into in the community. And having that conversation with your GP and working out whether local, private or local community, um, publicly funded community rehabilitation programs can help you along the way is is often um, helpful as well.
2: Yeah, great. Uh, And there is, uh, I believe that on Enable Me, there is information on how to find these kind of rehabilitation programs and also how to find the stroke support groups and that kind of thing.
5: Absolutely. And and hop on there if you get a chance, because um, you'll get to read some of the um, stories of other stroke survivors and some of the goals that others um, sort of set themselves further down the track as well. So it's quite inspiring.
2: Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for those tips, uh, Carol. Now, remember, if you do want to speak to a health professional like Carol, you can call Stroke Line on 1-800-787-653. That's 1-800-S-T-R-O-K-E. Or you can ask your question through Enable Me and get a response from health professionals and also from other stroke survivors who will share their experience too. And that's all we have time for today. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to give us a good rating and a review on iTunes uh, as that will help other people to find the podcast. Thanks again to our guests, Nadia Moffat, Professor Julie Bernhardt and Carol Pham.
0: That's all for today's Enable Me podcast. You can find out more on this topic and continue the conversation or listen to other podcasts in the series at enableme.org.au. It's free to sign up and you can talk with thousands of other stroke survivors, carers and supporters. You can also suggest a topic or provide feedback on this podcast. Enable.me has qualified health professionals from StrokeLine who can answer your questions and give evidence-based advice. The advice given here is general in nature and you should discuss your own personal needs and circumstances with your healthcare professionals. Music in this podcast is signed by Stroke Survivor Antonio Ianella and his band The Lion Tamers. It's recorded at Antonio Studio, which you can find out more about at facebook.com slash studio4four99, that's four U R99. This Enable Me podcast series is produced by the Stroke Foundation in Australia, working to prevent, treat and beat stroke. It's StrokeFoundation.org.au